What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Commas Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today we are talking to Emma Coburn, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with already, but she is a runner for New Balance and Team Boss in Boulder, Colorado. She is world champion, Rio bronze medalist. She has many other accolades, and she also just came out with her own cookbook, which is really awesome. And this episode was great. We talk about basically her start as a runner and dealing with the pressure of being the nation's basically top steeplechaser, life in Boulder, and more. So stay tuned for today's episode. Thanks for coming on to the show. I'm super excited to have you on. Also love the name, Emma. Our parents picked good names for sure. That's I know. We're, uh, we're crushing um, it together. So do you want to, to get started, do you want to give a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you're about? My name is Emma um, Coburn <laughs> and uh, I am a professional track athlete sponsored by, uh, I run for New Balance and um I live in Boulder, Colorado. I run the steeplechase and I'm a world champion and Olympic bronze medalist and uh, eight time US champion in my event. So uh, that's really what I do, but I also have a lot of kind of other side hustles and side gigs that I do. I sell some bands and lightweight exercise equipment. I wrote a cookbook. I host, I started a charity 5k. I kind of do a lot of random stuff, but running is the main gig. <laughs> yeah, you have quite the resume. I want to hear about your other passions too, because obviously people know you as the runner and I want to know more about the cookbook uh, selfishly, just because that's so interesting to me, but we'll start off on the running stuff. So to like kick it off, do you want to just like kind of explain how you got into running and like what, what got you started in the sport? I started running in sixth grade because my older siblings did. Um, I'm from a really small town in the mountains in Colorado called Crested Butte. And uh, every kid just kind of participates in every sport. And it was just kind of what my siblings did and what my friends were doing. Um, And my family, my parents like had a rule that you had to be on the AB honor roll at least and participate in sports year round in order to get your allowance money. So (laughs) I kind of got bribed into it. Um, and I hated it the whole time. I hated running until I was probably a senior in high school. And even then I didn't really love it. I didn't really start loving it until college. Uh, but I was good enough to win, you know, small races. So kept at it, but it was never my joy or passion at all until much later in life. (laughs) That is very interesting. I love hearing different people's perspectives, especially like elite runners on how they came up in the sport, because a lot of the really good ones, like even people on my college team, um, I ran for Oregon. So people, people got started like late into the sport, or at least they started getting good later in high school, I would say, but like, how good were you in high school? Not, I was not good at all. Not at all. Um, (laughs) I got recruited to run in college. So, I mean, I was good enough, but um, when I went to college, I was like on paper, the slowest person on my team. Like I had run at sea level 508 for the mile. And that was like my, what I thought was really great. Um, but like all my teammates had run in the four fifties and now you talk about high school girls and they're running, you know, if you're not running four forty, it's like, oh gosh. <laughs> so, I know. Um, 
it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of my friends in the sport and it, it's definitely a mixed bag. There's some people that were so passionate about it the very first time and they were very self-motivated and loved it. And my husband, he was a runner and he's my coach now. And, um, he was that way. Like he just loved running and I hated it. I thought like, it's so painful. It's, it's the performance anxiety is, uh, overwhelming. And then luckily I met my husband when we were in high school and his love of running started kind of rubbing off on me. And I was like, Oh, okay. This actually is a cool sport. And it's not just a nerve wracking, stressful, painful endeavor. It can be rewarding too. So you decided to go to Colorado, which if I come from someone who was like, I don't know, a little hesitant about the sport, that is quite the school <laughs> to decide to commit to. So what made you choose Colorado other than it being like the home school? Home. Yeah. My, my whole, my, all my family has went to Colorado. So I was going to go to Colorado basically no matter what. And the question was, am I going to be a runner or not a runner? Um, I had a binder like I miss high school binder days, you know, where you like organize all your stuff, <laughs> and highlighters, you whatever. So I had my binder and on it, I like had a box drawn on. that was like run in college. Yes. Run in college. No. And like, I was certain I was going to do the no check. And I was like, looking forward to that, um, experience. But so going to Colorado was kind of a given. I got recruited to a few other schools and went on visits and, um, could see myself enjoying that, but I'm such a homebody. I really am pretty dependent on like my family. And, um, and so I knew I'd want to be close to home. And so as soon as Colorado started recruiting me, it was a done deal. And when I left for school, my dad said like, just give it one semester of running on the team. And if you hate it, you can quit. Um, and then my fall of freshman year, there happened to be some injuries and turnover. And so I was not good at all, but I got put on varsity just because they needed numbers. And that kind of was enough of a spark to get me in and make me think like, oh, actually, this is really cool. These women are amazing. This team is awesome. This is really special, this experience. So it worked out, but yeah, Colorado is an intimidating school, their <laughs> history of their program and success. Uh, but luckily I kind of had, I had an easy intro um, and immediately kind of fell in love with it. Yeah. I feel like freshman year can be quite the hit or miss in that situation because a lot of people get injured their freshman year or they're not like traveling or if they are traveling, it's to the local meets. So they're not really getting the full experience of like traveling on planes and stuff. Um, especially like yeah, it's hard to stay motivated. Yeah. And it's like, everything's so new it can be quite overwhelming. So that is nice that you had that opportunity. Were you like, did you see improvement pretty fast with that training or like how how was the training yeah. in high school for you in high school I, I played a lot of sports so I was always really active and athletic and in in hindsight fit and almost like I was always cross training without realizing it I played basketball and volleyball and would ski and snowboard and I was just always moving um so I had a good base for like being an athlete but I never ran seven days a week. I ran 15 miles a week in the fall and in the spring. And that was it. Um, and so at Colorado, they're kind of a history of like a big distance program, but the coaches were really patient and assigned me like 40 miles a week coming into college and like really slowly introduced me to it. And so my body responded because for the first time I wasn't playing multiple sports at once. I was just focused on running. Um, and I responded pretty well. I remember my first indoor meet, my coach 
Heather, she was like, okay, I think you can run 455 for the mile. And I thought she was crazy. <laughs> I was like, that is the fastest human being alive. People run that fast. Um, and I, and I went out and I, I ran basically that time. Um, and I think there were enough moments like that, that there were these small little goals that in hindsight, I'm like, Oh, what a cute goal you had little Emma. Um, <laughs> but they were like just challenging enough for me to meet them and feel confidence in that and grow with the training and adapt with it. So I had a really, really wonderful college experience in that way. Yeah, that is nice to have a coach that believes in you too, like that, that pushes you out of your comfort zone. I feel like that does happen at the big schools a lot too, where it's like, you don't really think that you can accomplish something, but the coach has seen it happen so many times with like other athletes that it's nice to have that, that backing for you. Yeah, I'm sure your experience at Oregon, it's like, okay, all the people that have run here before, like if they're telling me I can run whatever, five minutes yeah. for the mile, they're, they're not impressed with that even though in your little world is incredible um yeah it's good to have people that are like kind of keeping you reaching for that next goal yeah oh even like the when I first got there I mean I was like I want to run four I want to break 425 in the 1500 my freshman year and I did it the first meet like unattached just because I think it was the environment I I mean and the training too but the environment itself I think just curates that so it is nice part about mm -hmm. being at a big program like that totally so you decided to stay in Boulder after graduating. Why just because you're a homebody? Well, it was working. I like, I love, I love Colorado. I love the mountains. I love, um, like I said, being around my family, but also my, my training had worked. I, in college, um, won the indoor mile, won two steeplechase NCAA titles, and then also made won the U.S. championships in 2011 to make the um, world championship team and then won the Olympic trials in 2012 um, before coming back for my senior year. So it just was working and I felt strong and liked my uh, coaches and liked my boyfriend, who's now my husband, was still on the team. Um, so staying in Boulder was a, like a no-brainer. And so when I was, you know, discussing going pro with brands, that was like a given both sides were like, okay, Emma, you're going to stay in this situation. I was like, yeah, for sure. Um, the brands knew that, you know, when I signed with New Balance, they knew that like that training environment was successful for me and it worked. So I had a really uh, smooth transition from like college to pro in that way. I think a lot of people sometimes have a hard time because they have to uproot their lives and change so much, but I had already been racing professional races as a collegian. And so the racing wasn't different anymore. I just no longer had to go to class. Um, so it's just only was like, thumbs up. I was like living in my same house with my same coaches, training with the Colorado team. Um, yeah, so it was a really smooth experience. I did get a stress fracture at NCAAs my senior year. Um, that was like my first big injury. And um, so that was like my first six or nine months as a pro. I was injured and that sucked, but again, New Balance was cool and, and my coaches were supportive. So I had a, even with a big crappy situation, my first day being a professional athlete, having a broken sacrum, um, I like still had not a terrible time. Yeah. So in, in 2012, you won the Olympic trials and you were still in college. How did that feel? Because you're not even on the pro scene yet and you're already accomplishing people like that train for years after college can only inspire or like aspire to do that. What did that feel like? I think I, 
at the time when I was in college, my coaches were, we were so logical and I've, I've carried, they no longer, no longer coach me, but I've carried this through of just like thinking in things in a very logical way of like, it's just a 400 meter track. I've raced at Hayward field a million times. I have this goal time. I've raced in championship races and at the NCAA level. Um, it was just really making it not the Olympic trials or when I got to London, making it not about the Olympics, making it just like, this is another race that I'm peaking for and I'm ready. Um, and so in hindsight, I look back at photos and I'm like, I was 21, this tiny person who somehow had this confidence to think she, I was a favorite to win the race. And I just like went out and did it. And, um, it's weird to look back and think, why did this silly girl have the confidence to do that but like I, I just did and a lot of it was just knowing I had prepared well and feeling enough experience that um you know I knew how to race a steeplechase at Hayward Field <laughs> and yeah. so I uh, just went out and did it yeah it really is about making the race not anything bigger than it actually is so I like that perspective okay so this is like so random but yesterday I was doing like the little questionnaire thingies on my Instagram and someone asked if I, if I ever wanted to be an Olympian. And I said like, no, like I never had the mindset of me becoming an Olympian. Did you ever have that mindset? You're like, Olympian is my end goal or like beyond. Like, when did you know that that was possible? No, it was not my dream at all. I, I talked to, again, like a lot of my peers and a lot of your friends, I'm sure at Oregon were like, you have a lot of the athletes had like a poster of Allison Felix on their wall. And they were like, I want to be her. I want to be in the Olympics. And, and I didn't have that at all. Um, I was a really big fan of, uh, I played hockey as a kid. And I was, so I was more of a fan of the 1980 U S Olympic hockey team than I knew about track. So I thought those Olympians, those guys on that team were like the coolest thing ever. And I knew nothing about track. So and I, I didn't think I'd be an Olympian at that, but that shows like what I was a fan of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I remember like I was at high school nationals and there was a cardboard cutout of Kara Goucher there. And I do remember being like giddy being like, Oh my God, that's a cutout of Kara Goucher. And <laughs> later we ended up training together and we we're good friends. She was a bridesmaid at my wedding. And so like, it's funny in hindsight, like how it all comes together. But so I did, I did follow running and I knew I knew who the big players were. And when I went to Colorado and Jenny Simpson was my teammate, um, that was a big deal to me, but I never thought I'd be in the Olympics. Um, I didn't even really know like professional running existed like as a career path. Um, and in 2011, when I ran um, like leading up to the, uh, sorry, the U S championships in 2011 to make the world team, that's when like the Olympics started kind of coming into perspective a little bit. Um, and then when I won that race, beating the, the pros in the race, I was like, oh, okay, this is now like London is just around the corner. And like, that's now what the plan is. And yeah. that just, again, like the, the glory and the weight of the Olympics was never a part of it. It was like, oh, that's the next logical step. Yeah. I will do that and I will get there. And, um, so I did, <laughs> but yeah, I was like you, I didn't dream of, I wasn't like four years old saying like I want to be an Olympian I wish yeah. I like a big part of me wishes I would have because it's so cute when you see like <laughs> you have a little video the, the like, throwbacks of yeah. people who who dreamed that way but it wasn't yeah. no I feel like that is a lot more common than people would expect from the pro runners that I know have that similar mindset as you mm -hmm. 
like it's not really a reality until it becomes a possibility yeah yeah how was uh your first olympic experience i feel like was it like everything that i don't know you've seen the movies is everything that you expected it totally was it was um over over the top like mind-blowing and i i i'm qualified for the team um with my college teammate Shalea Kip she and I made the team together and so she and I got to both to experience the whole glory of it together which I think was really special to have two college girls being like what what how do we stay <laughs> yeah. here you know um so we stayed in the village um and it's as there I mean in track there's not like parties in the in the village we're very straight-laced and focused athletes but there are crazy athletes and like walking into the dining hall and seeing the whole team USA basketball team and Serena Williams. And that is weird. And uh, then always the longest line was McDonald's in the dining hall. Like, I don't know why everyone in the world wanted that. That sounds sounds good. Yeah. But then um, my favorite part of London was the opening ceremonies. I walked in that and that really just was as special as you could imagine. I walked in and like, just, it took my breath away. That's when I really was like, oh wow. Like I'm an Olympian forever. And that's kind of when the, the, the weight and the glory of the Olympics, like snuck in for a bit. And it was Mm. like, oh wow, this isn't just a logical race. That's 400 meters, like a 400 meter track this is the Olympics. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was special to experience that. But then in the racing setting, I kind of just went back to business and thinking like, all right, well, I've been doing these workouts and my coaches think I can run this time. And so let's go do it. Um, and I was the top American. I finished ninth, but I think I've been upgraded to seventh or eighth with drug, um, bands since then. Um, and I ran a PR at the time I ran 923, Um, and it was good. I mean, I, I definitely hit all my expectations. Um, but then in 2016, when I made the team again, it was all business. I didn't do the opening ceremonies. It was all like, you're winning a medal or it's over. (laughs) Not it's over, but like, no, no, no. Yeah. So 2012 was definitely like a, a, maybe a lighter experience. And 2016 was a lot more like business focused. Um, and then kind of that's how all the big championships are now since once you kind of get to that top spot where you're fighting for medals, I feel like it's always like, cool, we're on a world championship, like neat. All right. I'm actually here to work. Yeah. I was going to ask you like what the experience was like, like different from 2012 to 2016, but that, that definitely sums it up. I didn't know that you could just like skip the opening ceremonies if you wanted though. Yeah. Well, because the opening ceremonies, you don't realize this, but you're on your feet for like five or six hours. Cause you're yeah, walking I mean, it would like make sense. to, you're walking like a mile or two from the village to the stadium. And, um, it's just like exhausting. And I think if you're in a sport, that's not an, an endurance sport, um, or your event is, you know, two weeks later or something like it totally makes sense. And I'm so glad I did it in 2012. I'm so glad I did it in 2012, but Rio, itself logistically was like really challenging um like all the venues were so far apart traffic was crazy to do anything in Rio was a challenge so me and my teammate Jenny we knew like sorry no nah, we're not gonna go and no one cared <laughs> no one missed us there were plenty of great no, US one, missed us. no one asked where we were yeah it was fine 
Yeah, that I mean, that totally makes sense. You've already experienced like the honeymoon phase of it when you were younger. So it's like, that, that sounds crazy to say because it is the Olympics, but it definitely makes sense from your perspective. But how, like yeah. with the Olympics hopefully happening this year, how has the perspective changed from the last Olympics to this one now? You know, I think we luckily in track because we have world championships every other year, I feel like our preparation is identical and the the process is identical. The U S championships and the Olympic trials are both, you know, we have two rounds of races, top three, make it, you have to be perfect on that day. Um, then you generally have about a month before the championship, um, Olympics or world champs. So I feel like because our sport does world championships every other year, we get in this rhythm where it feels, it, it, it feels like, you know, again, just business and normal in this system that I'm accustomed to doing. Um, my first world team was 2011. So it's weird to say like, this is hopefully my 10th year, you know, this is my 10th year yeah. doing this. Um, and so I, fingers crossed Tokyo happens. I think this, this year, what will be different is I think there will be less freedom for athletes. Like in Rio, I stayed at my own apartment and team USA, um, was cool with that. And I could come and go as I please to the track. And it was, it was a lot looser. And I think this is athletes are going to have to adapt. You know, if we get to, if the Olympics are happening and if I do qualify, I think it will just be unlike any other because it will yeah. be just this, this lockdown experience and athletes are going to have to adapt and kind of go with the flow and not have all the maybe comforts that we are used to having around us. Um, mm -hmm. But just fingers crossed for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny that you say that because a couple of weeks ago I recorded with my friend who's a division one coach and we were just talking about one of the characteristics of like super elite runners is adaptability to situations. And I feel like that's overlooked in like a lot of pro runners, but they're very adaptable to whatever a situation throws at them, especially if you're like traveling across the world, you just have to be adaptable to the situation. And I feel like this year's really going to prove um, who was the best at adapting to certain situations, but you've always been so consistent. I feel like you always peak at the right time and you're a very adaptable runner. Do you have like um, any, any tips for that? <laughs> um, I think I, in general, I have a good like internal clock of like when it is time for my brain and my body and my energy to shift into like, let's F and go. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't make that shift too early. Um, and I think I've, I have like a laser beam of focus on the trials and a laser beam of focus on the Olympics. Um, but the stuff between now and then I don't get frazzled with, I don't get stressed with, um, obviously I know I'm going to train hard. I'm going to trust in my training and what my coach says to do. Um, but like, I just kind of go with it and then, and not freak out about what little blips are happening or what, um, what it's, a, an opponent across the world is doing like <laughs> six months before the Olympics. I'm not going to let that like bother me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what it is, but yeah, I definitely have a way of in my, in my head and in my heart turning 
waiting to turn my stress on or not even stress, but waiting to turn my focus on until just like right before, um, the championships. And I think that keeps me feeling fresh and it keeps me feeling, um, like engaged, but not ever overwhelmed with the weight of this job or training or anything like that. I don't overthink anything. Yeah. Kind of going off of that, like, how do you deal with pressure? Because I mean, I just know every time I go to like a competition, whether that be like us champs, I'm like, Oh, Emma Coburn's going to take this one, you know? And I feel like (laughs) since you've done so well in the Olympics and like the world championships for so many years, do you feel like the weight of that when you show up to the starting line? And if so, how do you deal with that on race day or even like before? When I was younger, like when I was in high school, that pressure crippled me because I was from a really small school. So I would win every race because I was racing against other small schools. Um, and so then it was like the pressure of like, oh, if I'm not winning, like what will happen to me? And that that would make me run poorly and that would make me drop out of races and that would make me have a worse day than if I had just gotten second or third or 10th, whatever. Um, and so I, I luckily again, my, the combination of like meeting my husband in high school, who was, had a really logical train of thought with running. Um, you know, he wouldn't be like, Emma, why did you drop out? And I'm like, well, and he'd be like, well, that's stupid. Running's fun. And like, <laughs> like he just like, wouldn't buy my BS. He, and so he, um, he's now my coach and he always says like, confidence and er, is earned and pressure is a privilege and like you're only feeling pressure because like if you are feeling pressure if you feel like you have a target on your back that's because you have earned yourself that right that means you're very good that means that people expect a lot from you that means that people are looking at you to be the leader in this race or kick strong or whatever it is that people admire in you um and so I don't think about that when I'm you know, pre-race and I'm nervous. I'm not thinking pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege. But (laughs) I think it's just like ingrained in me over, we've been together 13 years. So like, I think it's just ingrained in me that like, just to to know that. Um, But then I also like the confidence is earned side. I definitely try and think of what pre-race workout, pre like big workouts I did in that training block that prepared me for this. I try and think of past race experiences that prepared me for that moment. Um, I really just focus on like being my best self when I'm racing and less about what's she going to do? What's she going to do? What's she going to do? I just try and bring like, all right, let's go, Emma. It's time to whatever my goal is that day. Um, and keeping it more about myself and less about comparing with what else is happening around me. Um, I definitely help, uh, it helps keep me kind of Zen and focused and not nervous. Um, like when I was in high school, I cried on the, the starting line of the state and cross country meet. So, so freaking nervous. Um, and then like I'm in Rio or standing on the world championship start line and like not very nervous. So <laughs> through, through time and training and, um, experience, I think I've just learned that if you train really hard, you have nothing to be nervous about. Yeah. That, that is amazing feedback because it really does hinder your performance if you're showing up to the starting line crying, but I do agree that it comes with, it comes with experience. And I feel like just subjecting yourself to that a lot, like showing up to the starting line and also having like really painful workouts or really good workouts gives you that confidence. So I, and I, I also think it's, it's like 
and if I fail, what happens then? Like yeah. I'm still me and I have a great life and I have family I love and a husband I love and a dog I love and I'll, I'll move on. Like this, yeah. my college coach would always say like, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Like just the world moves on. Yeah. No one cares. No one remembers <laughs> no, like, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Like whatever. I've had so many bad races and it's like, I don't remember them. Yeah. And I don't think many, I would hope people don't remember them. I don't, <laughs> yeah, they're not, dwelling, like, they're not I going don't, to bed at night being like, I remember having never, a COVID bad race. Yeah. Like, I don't think people obsess about, about others, bad performances. Yeah. I, I know I don't, and I'm a fan of track and field and I don't look at bad performances from my peers and be like, Oh, remember that time. And, <laughs> um, and people remember the good people remember the highlights of your career, of your resume of, um, you know, then that goes deeper into like, people remember how you made them feel and as a teammate and all of that but just in a pure results standpoint like if I suck no one cares it's gonna suck for me I'm gonna be mad and then I'm gonna the sun's gonna come up and I'm gonna critique my mistakes I'm gonna analyze what I did poorly and I'm gonna adapt and I'm gonna fix it for the next race and move on Mm -hmm. and you have to have the bad ones to have the good ones so it comes with the territory yeah I had in 2017 I had, I think maybe the worst race of my life. I ran a 1500. I think I got last place. My PR is 403 and I ran 411 and it was like three weeks before the world championships. And then I (laughs) I looked at my training. Exactly. It was my last race before worlds. I was like, great, this is going to be awesome. And then I sucked in the race. And then like my husband and I looked at my training and we're like, okay, let's fill in this gap, fill in this gap. And then I went to worlds and I won worlds. And so (laughs) It's like three weeks later. So you have the, the best race of your life and the worst race of your life within a month period. And it's like, I'm, I'm only going to remember the fun. I'm only going to remember the, the yeah. good. Until you um, come on this podcast and you have to recall the bad one. <laughs> well, it's actually funny lately. I I've had to tell this story to a couple people, um, like, you know, within the last year or so, just with, with people struggling with the fact that it's been a hard last 12 months and adversity and all that. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll remind people that like, there is crap and there are great things and just move on. And I didn't let that crappy race that was terrible, like hold me back. You just got to have amnesia and go again. So I, I actually have had to remember that that moment a couple times yeah. um, recently, but in general, I don't fall asleep thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. The faster you can move on from a bad race is like the better the future will be. If you're like just sitting there dwelling on how bad the race went for days and weeks on end, like you're not, it's not going to change the result of the bad race. I so think just- if you especially are able to look at it honestly and be like, okay, what did I like take ownership of your, of yourself and say like, what did I do wrong there? Like, I'm not going to blame the pacer. I'm not going to blame the weather. I'm not going to blame this girl that was in the race that cut me off. Like, what did I do wrong? What, what can I fix in my training or what can I fix in my fueling or whatever it is? Like, how can I be better? Um, It's not, it's not productive to be like, I race bad. I can move on. Okay. Bye. And just repeat the same mistake. You have to be able to think critically and be honest about yourself. But I agree that if you can do that and then move Mm -hmm. on and adapt that's the key. Yeah. Okay. Kind of switching, <laughs> switching topics now. I want to, I'm very interested in like your coaching relationship with your husband, because I feel like I don't know that many people that are coached by their, their partners. How is that relationship? And how do you like separate the personal side of it from the business side of it? I, I get 
asked this question all the time and I'm I sure you do because it's no, I feel like I, not I that many people do it I know a lot of people are are surprised um he and I Joe is my husband and my coach and he and I have known each other since high school um we've been dating or together for almost 13 years um and so I think for me I'm just so used to him being around and being there um that like I don't know what I would do if he wasn't my coach. Like if he had like a nine to, if he had a nine to five job that he's like in an office and I didn't see him all day, I'd be like, Hey, where are you? (laughs) Had a good Um, workout. Yeah. (laughs) But, but bigger than that is he, like I touched on a little bit, like in high school, he was huge in making me like think running was cool and think that, Oh, I should run in college. It's think of it in the opportunity side, less of the fear-based side. Um, And so without, thinking about it he became definitely like a a coach in a way from like the neck up (laughs) of like okay like mindset and how I approach training and racing and being tough and um willingness to work hard and willingness to hurt all this stuff he was excellent at um and when my uh after the Olympics in 2016 I decided to leave my old coaches Um, and I was just kind of floating and I needed a coach and he was like, he was an accountant at the time. Um, and he was like, well, I could like, I'll step in for a year. And if we hate it, like we'll move on. Um, and you can do something else, but I wasn't ready to like uproot my boulder, my living in boulder in that life. And also like, you know, move across the country and join a new group or whatever. So I was like, I'm already making a change, not having my same coaches. I just like want to be as kind to myself as possible. Let me see what I can do. So he coached me. And, uh, then within a year I won the world championship gold. So we were like, this works. This is great. (laughs) Um, I think he, he's very smart and he loves, he's such a track nerd. And so he's always reading and he's always studying. Um, so he's always been someone even prior to being my coach that like, I respected their opinion and running so much. And he was a, six time, eight time All-American in college. Um, so he was a good runner too. And he, after he was done running, he would still like pace me in workouts and he was just around, he traveled to my big meets. Um, so the transition for him to be my coach was not extreme at all, considering how much, um, overlap we had already had with one another's lives. Um, but definitely having like a group of like training partners in a group setting makes that to answer your first question, like makes the dynamic of like athlete, coach, husband, wife, it makes those lines a lot more clear of like, we're at practice. We're at the track. We have six people around us. I'm not going to like, I'll try not to whine to him as if like, I'm a, I'm a little <laughs> yeah. nagging wife and he's my husband. Um, so I think having teammates helps the dynamic be more like coach athlete when necessary. But I mean, as you know, from your years running, it's like running is just a part of your life all the time. And you don't like walk in the door from practice and like say, Oh, I'm no longer a runner. Like it's just our life and we love it. Um, and so there's many, 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 many times that we're, you know, sitting at home on the couch watching Netflix and he's like, Oh, well, what do you think of this workout? Should we do blah, blah, blah. And we're talking about running and we're talking about training. Um, and it's not like, wait, hold on we can only talk about yeah, this turn it off. when the sun, ca- when the sun comes up and you're my coach. So, um, yeah. it's very fluid, but it, it works really well. And I think it's, it's 
you know, I'm really lucky that it worked out the way it did, but we're, we're definitely, uh, I think made for each other in this world like that, because we get along really well. We don't fight. We work well together as, as athlete coach, but then also like, he's my coworker and all my side hustles. So like we're coworkers a lot too. Um, and husband and wife. So I, I guess we just rely a lot on each other. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And it's been cool to see your team grow too, team boss (laughs) over the years. Was it just you two for a while? And then you just kept adding people as time went on. Yeah. Um, he only coached me from, uh, Joe's last name is boss hard. Mm -hmm. That's why it's boss. So just for anyone listening, we're not just weirdos who picked that name. Team boss. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, anyway, so Aisha Lear, she was changing coaches and wanted a new scene. So she, um, she called me and Joe had only been coaching me for about a month. And she's like, Hey, I want to come to Colorado and train. I was like, well, I don't think you know this yet, but I'm no longer with my old coaches and Joe's now my coach. But if you want to come out, like come train (laughs) with me. Um, and she kind of took a big leap of faith and she joined the team. And then over the years, it was like, you know, one or two athletes, you know, wanting to, to join. And there's been athletes beyond the list that's on our team that have been interested in joining, but we try and keep it. Um, we kind of try and keep the right balance of athletes, both with, um, like their event area and their personality, kind of the whole, the whole package. We don't want to overwhelm us, but Joe just loves coaching so much that, you know, keeps adding and adding and adding. And, um, I think, you know, we are a really happy group of people and I, I love having a, a team and I, you know, anyone that's trained with women know that like having a good group of female training partners is like the best thing in the world. So I feel really lucky. Yeah. What is like Boulder running culture? Like I've never been personally, but I just know that like everyone lives there. <laughs> so is it, like, <laughs> yeah. It's a very small town. Like do you just see people every day, no matter where you go? Yeah. We, I see people a lot. There's, there's, um, Tin Man is there on running group or on athletic club is there. Um, there's the Colorado group, um, like the post-collegiate group at Colorado. Um, I feel like I'm blanking on a couple. I know I'm going to like hang up this <laughs> podcast and be like, Oh damn it. Um, anyway, but we see each other and I feel like each team this last year is really hard to judge because everyone was staying pretty isolated within their own little bubbles, but each team, you know, in general is, you know, running with their teammates every day and, um, training just together every day, but we see each other at the track and, um, overlap here and there, uh, you know, on easy runs and stuff, but it's Boulder is a great place to live. And definitely, um, I think it just has so many running venues, like so many dirt roads, so many trails. And, uh, again, it's like a, just a cool town to be in. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great spot, but this year I didn't really see anyone. Cause I wasn't we were all not seeing anyone. <laughs> we yeah. were all in our own little bubbles. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you see everyone when you're in Arizona. So <laughs> yeah, but kind of it's the same thing. Like no one's yeah. trying to social socialize. So it's like, oh hey, 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 yeah, yeah. How are you? But <laughs> hey, like you're not ya. actually running together. Yeah, like yeah, go, go breathe that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, well, I want to get to your passions outside of running. We've taken up a lot of the time with running, but that's just because I was interested. I'm sure a lot of other people were too, but um, you do do a lot of stuff outside of running because running is not, (laughs) doesn't take up your entire day. 
Um, you just came out with a cookbook, which my roommate Carissa had a copy and I selfishly have made some of the recipes for myself. Um, they're very delicious, but what inspired you to make that? Um, well, Carissa's dad emailed me asking if I could, uh, the book wasn't out yet and her dad emailed me. It was really sweet. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) I think she told uh, me that I was like, yeah, um, anyway, the, the book I've just always, um, always liked cooking really once I growing up, my mom was great, 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 great at cooking. Um, always made a very like wide variety of meals. Um, and so when I got to college and had to start cooking for myself, I was like, Oh, this is way harder than I thought it would be. Um, and so like slowly got more into it. And then really once I graduated college, I just had so much time on my hands. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I went on my run now. What I have like, yeah, I guess I'll like cook a big dinner or I guess I'll like bake something. Um, so that definitely, I started cooking and baking a lot more once I graduated school. Um, and I really, 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 really love baking. And I have such a sweet tooth. Um, so I love baking and I turned in like 20 plus desserts to my publisher for the cookbook. And they're like, Oh, let's pare it down to like six or seven. I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> like, but I really could have just done a whole book of like breakfast food and desserts. Those are like my favorite, my favorite things. But, um, I think just, you know, cooking over the years and sharing some on Instagram, uh, people have, you know, strangers will DM you and be like, oh, you should write a cookbook. You should write a cookbook. And then yeah. a, a, about a year ago, a publisher reached out to me to see if I wanted to write one. I was like, oh, sure. And then <laughs> why not? Yeah. I started writing it during, uh, during like the early stages of lockdown. Um, and it, it was a fun, you know, project to work on during, you know, March and April, May of, of 2020. And it was really fun. I would love to do another one. I, I tried to make a book that was, I don't know how much I've seen you make some, which is awesome. But like, I tried to make a book that was very much uh, how I eat, which is just like balanced meals. I don't have, I'm not gluten-free. I'm not dairy-free. If you have allergies, great, avoid those foods. But I think there's a bit of a myth within the running community that like you have to have super complicated recipes you have to grind your own almond flour to then like have it with dates to then make shredded carrots and then that's the only way you're allowed to have a muffin or a cookie like nah you can also just have <laughs> you, you can also have just the regular have, one like, you can just also have like regular sugar and regular flour and like again if you prefer the that other method sweet that's awesome. But like, you don't have to. Um, and so I definitely just was wanting to write a book of how I really eat and, uh, kind of what my relationship with food is and what my food philosophy is. And so I, I hope that, that the people who have the cookbook, you know, felt that and and feel that in the food and were able to read that in the early chapter of the book, but, um, it was, it was super fun. Yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome. And like, having your own perspective on it, I feel like is much needed because people are interested in what each individual eats. Cause it is different depending on the person, but it is so nice and like refreshing to get a point of view. That's like, you don't need to like go above and beyond like to the extreme and use weird ingredients. Like, I don't know, it, but it is yeah. nice contrast to, I think a lot of like the nutritional myths, like you said, over the years that have developed because of social media and other things too. Um, and I mean, and it's, I think it's there's like really important, but to a certain extent, there's, be there's, beyond. 
totally, totally. And I mean, there's people that have allergies to certain things, or there's people that have, you know, a taste preference. Um, and that's great. But I think, you know, if you want to make banana bread with sugar and flour, it, it's not going to be bad. Like, it's not going to kill you yeah. and it's easy and it's delicious. So yeah. try it. But, um, there's also like great salads in there and smoothies and more like what I would say, like traditional, what, like, you can't see this in the podcast, but like quote healthy foods are, um, but I like roll my eyes at that and like roll my head like to the back. <laughs> like I can't emphasize that I roll enough because I think you can have a healthy diet while having uh, last night I had a teriyaki turkey burger that's in the cookbook and you can have um, you can have like a well balanced but a wide variety of foods in your diet and you don't have to be uber restrictive um, but you know I, I know you spoke with Maddie Alm who's my registered dietitian and my teammate and it's all just about like your individual needs so like what I what I need is not what you need what you need is not what Susie needs and it's it's we're all different and that's great and that's okay so like don't you don't have to stress just because you see someone else doing you know a a vegan muffin and that's, that's all they're eating yeah that's, you don't have to do that yeah um I was laughing the other day because I think you posted on your story or maybe it was in a highlight I don't even remember what I was looking at but you were eating out of like a Tupperware and it was like such a meal that I would eat it was like oh gosh I don't even remember it was like rice like turkey I don't know it, it was like the other day it was like not yeah, I just, at all but I was like that is the story of my life just like eating I just sometimes of- you need you need fuel and like yeah. I was not hungry I was not interested interested in eating it but I had to go on another run and I knew I'd feel like garbage if I didn't have anything fueling me so I was like oh let me just like throw this leftover shredded chicken with this leftover veggies and like throw some ranch dressing on it and like it'll be fine (laughs) yeah it is so funny because obviously it's like you can't eat perfect all the time or like perfectly instagrammable meals all the time there's a lot of the time where you're just eating stuff like that purely just to get the nutritional nutritional value in (laughs) exactly what has your experience been like on social media over the years because obviously you've been at the top of like the running world for since like the beginning of like Instagram, which was like 2012, I would say, um, what has your experience been like navigating the social media world? Uh, when I was in high school, like MySpace and Facebook were still like really cool. So that I graduated high school in 2008. Um, and so like I shared my life on Facebook and, you know, you'd go on vacation and you'd upload pictures from your vacation and you'd, right stupid status updates on your Facebook um so when Instagram and Twitter kind of started happening in 2011-2012 um or more mainstream I should say it was just an extension of like oh this is my stupid stuff I'm telling you about (laughs) I'm posting it it I never um I think the transition was like pretty smooth for me where it just was like me sharing my life because I uh just mimicked my behaviors from MySpace and Facebook yeah through you know that I was sharing through my college years and then later college years on Instagram um and so it never Instagram to me was never like this is the platform where I am going to brand myself and blah 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 blah. it was never this like structured yeah formal setting which obviously now I think 
athletes and, and people everywhere know how important social media is for um, making money <laughs> and for like building a career um, and for sharing your experiences. But I think it always just felt very natural to me and felt like just an extension of my true personality and who I yeah. am. Um, and I definitely have had friends or teammates that have asked me like, how, how do you, what do you do when you post something? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like take a picture and I post it and I put some stupid words under it. Yeah. Like it just has never been something that I overthink, but, um, I definitely understand its importance and I understand like the business side of it. And I try to, um, you know, obviously like capitalize on that in a business setting. Um, but I feel like the, the start of it was very easy for me. And like the whole, I feel like it grew pretty naturally just because it was always a reflection of like who I truly was and not this phony persona that I would thought like, it's popular to post this picture. Okay. So I will do that. You know? Yeah. It's just more about sharing your life rather than like trying to brand yourself in a certain way, which is nice to have that natural progression. It makes it a little easier than having to try to like put on a front or start yeah. from Shout scratch out to I guess my if you don't space. know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, it's funny though to think of like how cringy I think probably my old MySpace page was. Like I don't even, <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. When my Facebook like posts come up from 20, like 11 or 2010 or even but before that, I was like, oh my goodness. Or even some of my old Instagram posts, like when it first came out with the heavy filters and borders and stuff, I was like, Kelvin, oh gosh, yeah. so cringe. the Kelvin filter. I, I, Kelvin. Used. I use that Kelvin. way too much. I was a big fan of the borders or like the pick stitch mm-hmm. where you could have like four different photos. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I th- it's always fun to scroll to like anyone's like <laughs> Instagram so from 2013 and be like, Oh, that's funny. You thought that yeah, was just neat. to see where they came from. Always got to keep them humble. Maybe throw them a comment if they're your friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, we're getting to the end of the episode, but I just wanted to talk about like your goals moving forward, running and non-running wise. Running. Let's see. I, want to win the Olympic trials. I want to win a medal in Tokyo. I want to make the Olympic team again in 2024 and win a medal there. I want to basically make the next two world championships, championship teams, um, in 2022 and 2023 and win a medal there. So I just want to, I just want to keep doing that. I have Mm -hmm. three global medals and I just want to bring my medals, some more friends. Um, so I (laughs) will, those are my running goals. Um, and as I get older, I feel like that's really where all of my energy and focus shifts less about like, um, I, I think I, I still want to run faster in other events. I've never even raced a 5k. So I want to run a good 5k. Um, I have certain, you know, like time goals. I'd like to break nine minutes in the steeple, but it's really just about like podium moments at championships. Um, and then outside of running, I mean, it's just a weird world we're in. We're like, <laughs> we're like it's just I haven't really thought that think. far. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, like you, I have, I have other ventures and, um, things that I work on and I want to continue to grow, um, those businesses and, um, make sure that I'm continuing to, uh, you know, 
grow and support the uh, charity 5k that I do Outrun 5k um, you know so that in a focused way I want to continue growing what I've been doing but in general like one day I want to have kids I want to be happy when I'm you know I'm happy now. happy I want to just like just just be happy and um, have some kids and uh, that's that's really the end goal <laughs> yeah well those are all awesome goals someone did ask on like the I did a little question thing like question box on Instagram if anyone had any questions for you and someone asked when is your 5k debut so do you have any info on that uh, yeah breaking news um it, <laughs> I will be racing a 5k at the end of the month um like February 27th is 7th or 8th sorry like, <laughs> um, and uh in Austin I will okay. be racing a racing a 5k at the end of the month so t-minus like three weeks until I become a 5k athlete specialist <laughs> yeah exactly well that'll be exciting I'm sure everyone wants to um watch and I'm sure you're gonna do amazing as you do in every race that you do basically so I'm excited to watch it's um, so long I've never run that far <laughs> yeah you're gonna be fine I mean if you can run a 3k steeple well the 5k I feel like will be easier than that you know sure I'll quote you on that when I'm yeah. in the middle of the race in my head <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be easier <laughs> yeah um cool well where can people find you I mean I'm sure everyone that listens to this podcast probably already does follow you but where can they check out your stuff um you can check out my stuff at on Instagram I'm at Emma Coburn um and then I have I sell like exercise bands and that account is Emma Coburn fitness um or I'm sorry Emma Coburn training whoa sorry guys um <laughs> Emma Coburn training and then I have a website emmacoburn.com um and oh I am brand new on TikTok it's it's rusty so oh it, it I have seen fully, your TikTok it's not fully formed yet I mean there are videos but if you're into TikTok it's at Emma J Coburn there <laughs> excited to see you on the platform well I yeah I'm not dance. doing the yeah I know I'm not doing dances I mean who, never say never but like so far there are zero so if that's what you're expecting like you're gonna be disappointed you know what? That's what they all say when they first download TikTok. You'd be surprised as what you'd be encouraged to do later. So yeah, I'm we'll excited see. to we'll see you see. do the Renegade eventually. So it'll be fun. Yeah, no. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, to close out the episode, can we get a good old peace out, fellas? Yes. Thanks for having me on. Peace out, fellas. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Commas Over Cold Brew. If you love the podcast, it means so much to me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps grow the podcast organically and it literally only takes like 15 seconds. I just love reading your guys' reviews as well because it keeps me motivated to keep recording the episodes and I just love hearing your guys' feedback. If you want to be up to date on episodes and even submit listener questions, follow at Commas Over Cold Brew Pod on Instagram and I will hear from you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas.